Hi, and welcome to the Tough Fish Show. I'm your host, Jen Melius, and I'm so glad that you're here and can't wait to introduce to you Lisa Stringfellow. Lisa Stringfellow writes middle grade fiction and has a not-so-secret fondness for fantasy with a dark twist. Her debut fantasy, A Comb of Wishes, is published by HarperCollins Quill Tree Books and was released on February 8th, 2022. It was selected as an ABA Indie Introduced title for Winter Spring 2022 and an Indie Next Kids title for March-April 2022. Lisa received the inaugural Quill Color of Children's Literature Manuscript Award in 2019 for the novel Manuscript. Her work often reflects her West Indian and Black Southern heritage. Lisa is a middle school teacher and lives in Boston, Massachusetts with her children and two bossy cats. Let's dive into the pond and meet Lisa. Welcome to the Tough Fish Show. I am so excited to bring to you Lisa Stringfellow. Lisa, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Jen, for having me. I am so glad you are here, and I would love for you to start with, how did you get into writing? I am um, a teacher, an English teacher, actually, and so um, I, you know, have always loved to write and teach writing, and um, I didn't start thinking seriously about being an author, though, until um, I went back to graduate school about maybe 15 years ago and was taking different classes on, you know, writing for children or adolescent writing. So it's writing books for kids. Um, and I just was fascinated and thinking, you know, I, I might like to do this. I'd love to have a book that students would love to read kids you know in the middle middle grade readers would love to read and so I started working on it and um, that was kind of like the the impetus it, it took a while <laughs> to to get something that uh, to you know learn that craft and uh, and develop but uh, but yeah that was the thing I just really have always loved books always loved writing and um, but being a teacher, you know, I've seen so many wonderful stories and I started thinking about, well, I might have a story or two that I might like to tell. And, and so that was kind of my, my start. I love that. And because you teach middle school and then you wanted to write for middle school for this grade area, I think that that's just so beautiful. I love that so much. And I love that you t teach English. So it's kind of like a nice natural evolution of what you're all about, what you're interested in. I think that's awesome. Yeah, it, it's fun. And, and I think um, it's interesting for my, my students now that, you know, my book is out that, you know, they kind of can see like what it takes for something to go from an idea to an actual book on the shelf. And, you know, I share a lot of like that, my publishing journey with them. So, you know, kind of firsthand knowledge from an early age for them on what it takes to, to be an author. Oh my gosh, that is phenomenal. What a wonderful experience for your students. So to your point about idea to real life, to making it a reality, what was that journey like for you with this first book? Yeah, so my debut book is A Comb of Wishes. It's a middle grade fantasy about a girl who um, finds a mermaid's comb and makes a wish 
Um, and, uh, you know, but magic has consequences and costs and things don't quite go the way that she would have anticipated them to go. Um, and so I wrote the first draft of that back in 2013. Um, one of the things that I do with my students is the NaNoWriMo Young Writers Program. So NaNoWriMo's National Novel Writing Month, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. And, um, but the, the Young Writers Program lets kids in K through 12 write novels in November, but they can, you know, choose their own personal word goal, uh, kind of unlike us adults who we have to shoot for that 50,000 words in the, the month of November. Um, but I told my students I would write along with them. So I started thinking about what kind of story I would write because I committed myself <laughs> that if I were going to ask them to do something, I was going to do it with them. And um, I thought about some books that I had read recently. One was um, a book called The Tale of Emily Winsnap, which was about a, a seventh grader who discovers that she's part mermaid. And the other book at the same time was Coraline by Neil Gaiman, which is kind of a totally different story, kind of creepy, um, but basically about a girl who kind of goes on this, um, this adventure to save um, her family and has to be brave. And so I kind of thought about, you know, what if I wrote a mermaid story, you know, but it was a little bit, you know, had some, some scary moments in it. Um, and the mermaid um, would be uh, a black mermaid because that was something I had not seen and would have loved had I, when I was a kid and I used to read fantasies, that was my favorite genre. Um, and I set it in the Caribbean because that's part of my heritage. So that just seemed like a natural place for a mermaid to, to be. And so I started that in 2013 and um, I won this that year. So I got to my 50,000 words, but they were pretty bad as, as most first drafts are. <laughs> And uh, so I kept working on it and I started revising and I finished the novel because that was one thing, you know, it's hard to finish a draft in a month. You can get to a certain number of words, but uh, I finished it the next year, started working on revision, started trying to learn more about writing craft because um, that was still early in my journey. You know, teaching writing and writing, writing <laughs> professionally is a little bit different. I kind of think about it like... Um, athletics and sports, you know, being a soccer player is different than being like a spectator in the stands. And so I kind of, you, you, you might know the game, but like actually getting out and playing it is a little bit different. And so I, I felt like that, that I had to learn some things about writing now that I was actually doing it myself. Um, and then I, you know, revised with the help of um, mentors and with some critique partners eventually queried it. Uh, and in 2019, my agent and I sent it out on submission. Um, and it was picked up by HarperCollins, Quiltry Books, and just came out this past February. <laughs> so uh, a, a bit of a journey from 2013 to 2022, but um, definitely rewarding. And um, I'm excited that it's out there for people to read now. I love all of that. There are so many, there are so many nuggets that I would love to like go into with you. One of which is your point about saying it's one thing to get it started. It's another thing to finish it, to get that draft finished and to be okay with the first draft, not being that great, whatever that is. If it's just your own expectation saying I expected better writing from myself, this first go around, taking the pressure off and saying, Hey, you did it. 
you can always go back and revise and edit and, and strengthen it. And it sounds like one of the ways you went about that was not just learning and reading craft books and, and honing it from that angle, but working with critique and getting feedback. Could you talk a little bit more about that process of refining, if you will? Yeah, definitely. And I am definitely a person who loves revision, I think, more than the drafting stage. And um, sometimes even with um, my students, you know, they're, they're starting a, a new piece today. And, you know, it's hard. And I said, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect, doesn't have to be good. You don't even have to start at the beginning. You know, if it's easier to start someplace else and then kind of work around, you know, write the part that you feel comfortable writing first and go back, you know, it's okay. There are no rules with any of that. Um, so I definitely, um, once I um, started writing the story, I, um, I found that revising was something I enjoyed, um, but I did get in, stuck in that rut, which I think is pretty common of um, polishing the beginning and never quite getting to the end. Um, and so that took a little bit of, um, you know, just uh, just work and, and realizing and advice from other writers that, you know, you can't publish something that's not finished. So go ahead and just get to the end, maybe put the revising on hold until, until you can get to that end, even if it's not, you know, beautiful and perfect, it's something, and then you can work on improving it. Um, one of the things I did, I, I um, had some wonderful critique groups that um, I was a part of, um, an in-person group. And then later when I moved, I also would take online classes where uh, there was a critique portion to them. And that was really helpful because, um, you know, you, you're inside your own head when you're writing sometimes and you know the story, but it's nobody else does. So they only see what's on the page. And so having other people say, um, you know, I really, you know, enjoyed this part, but, um, you know, I, I didn't really know what the character was feeling or, you know, maybe the order of something didn't make sense or have you thought of this? Um, those were just helpful suggestions that you only get by sharing your work with other people. Um, and I also found that sometimes people, they pushed me in really in good ways to, to think about things, um, in a different way than maybe I had been thinking. Um, one of the, the things was um, I, there's so many first versions of the first chapter of my book. It's gone a lot of different directions. Um, but I had a person who said, you know, oh, you should have a, you know, underwater scene, a diving scene. And um, I was like, no, that sounds great. But no, I don't think I need that. And um, I finally, they kept saying it, you know, I think it would be really great. And then I was like, okay, fine. And I wrote it and it was one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> and it was actually a wonderful scene. It actually used to be in the beginning and now it's in the end of my current manuscript. So that's a whole different thing about like the revision process and, and where things belong in, in a final or later version of a story. Um, but another thing that came up was um, in my story there, the main character collects sea glass and there's a whole thematic um, connection between sea glass and mermaids that wasn't in my original manuscript. And that came up because a writer in a class that I was in read the manuscript and happened to also be a marine biologist. So she had a science background and, and said, you know, oh, this is so great, but I don't know if you know this, but um, collecting seashells uh, is uh, somewhat damaging for the environment. Um, it can cause erosion. And there are a lot of places where 
people over collect and, you know, it takes away habitat from animals. And I had never heard that before. And so I was like, well, gosh, I don't want to promote that or encourage it by having kids read this book and, and wanting to do what the main character does. And so I thought, well, what else could she collect uh, that's related that would be on the beach? And that was when I thought of sea glass, which is basically trash, you know, that people glass has gone into the water and it's got kicked around and then it comes back and it's this beautiful material that people can work with. But what I found out after I made the change was there's a whole folk folklore around sea glass um, related to mermaids and that sea glass, one of the names for it is mermaids tears. And so it op opened an opportunity for like a deeper connection in a more story related things that I could do by having listened to that tiny bit of feedback that someone gave me um, and being open-minded to think about, well, maybe I'll explore that a little bit. So lots of great things that can come from even just building your confidence, sharing your work and getting other people's opinion. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love that so much. So to your point about sharing and getting feedback, when you, when you do get, sometimes you can still get like, to your point, you got this feedback about, Hey, there should be this underwater scene. And initially you were like, I don't, I don't think this works right now. Um, and it's totally okay to make that decision too, to say, I not, not now. Now to your point, you also said, well, let me try it. Let me go ahead and just give it a chance. But it's still just as important to be able to say, this might not be the thing I need to do at this time. So how did you discern between when to pursue something and when to say, yeah, this really isn't feeling right. I appreciate the feedback, but this isn't necessarily the direction I want to go and I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I, um, I have a moment like that, and I don't want to give spoilers for the book, but the ending of the book changed um, at least three different times. Um, and one of the, the changes was, I think it was maybe the second version of the ending, um, was my agent was um, suggesting that I have a certain thing happen with the, the, the family and I was like, no, I don't want that to happen. And, and again, finally the same thing. I was like, okay, I'll try it. Uh, tried it and it worked and it was okay. But I still kind of had, you know, mixed feelings a little bit about it. And, but the novel was in good enough shape that we were ready to go on submission. Um, and so we did. And when I spoke with the editors that um, were considering acquiring it, um, almost all of them, we had a conversation about the end of the book. And um, the editor that I ended up um, being acquired by, um, that was one of the first things that she brought up was, you know, um, what, what's your feeling about the ending? And I said, well, you know, it's actually changed a few times and I'm not sure that I'm totally in love with it. And she's like, okay, cause I don't have, I'm like, I'm not sure that it's the right ending for different reasons. And I said, well, can I tell you what the the previous endings were. And we had such a good conversation. And actually what we ended up doing was going back to one of the first, the first ending actually that I had written. Um, and the reason, the thing that's interesting about that though, that connects to revision is that the, the first ending um, was changed because one of the characters that my mermaid is kind of um, a dangerous character um, and the way the ending uh, was she, it kind of made um, 
it, it didn't, it felt like it didn't work because the character, we didn't know enough about her. She was just very surface level. And so over the course of all of the endings or all of the revisions that I made, I added a lot more depth and background to that the mermaid character. And so the ending that I felt like didn't work in my earlier draft wasn't so much that it wasn't the right ending, but the novel needed some other work. And so when we put that old ending back with all of these other changes that had been made, and, and of course, some changes to the ending, it's now, I feel like, and, and the perfect ending. And it, it, and it wasn't the ending, it was the character and the things, the, the, all of the work around the, the, the building up to this that needed work. And so that was an interesting thing to think about too. Yeah, that's, I, I love that. I love how that you just, how you just described that to the, the beauty of revising, the beauty of how feedback helps to craft and you keep coming back. And it sounds like also a, what you're describing to me is the, the, the way to incorporate feedback. Like you started with one group and wove in feedback, refined, worked, you know, you're further along in the journey, you're further along with the, the manuscript to feel like it's a stronger draft, a stronger story. So you're getting additional feedback from different people to kind of help further hone and different people, meaning the agents, the editors and so forth, as you're progressing to get this book published. I think that's just phenomenal how it sounds like it, the ebbing and flowing of this story just speaking water terms too and, <laughs> and I but I love that I love that so much I think that that's just that's just beautiful that Thank is so you. exciting and I and I think that the the benefit and the beauty of different readers is that they can bring different perspectives um I happen to in that process of before I was agented um had applied to um two different mentorship programs and happened to get into both of them, which was amazing. But the thing that was so good about that was that one of the mentors was a middle grade writer. And so when she read my manuscript, she gave me a lot of feedback about voice and would say things like, is this a word that a 12 year old would use? Is this the way that a 12 year old would think? Um, and the other mentor was a YA writer who um, her books just were more fast paced and, and action. So she had lots of feedback for me on pacing and on um, the character development. And so um, again, both wonderful writers and great feedback, but different and more tailored towards what they were really good at that helped me. Um, so that's also so such a useful thing to think about when you're looking for other people to read your work. Yeah, I love that because to your point, there were two different expertise, really two different focuses, but in the same way, the same breath that those came together to help you hone and you were discerning. This is, I see how this is making sense. And you're putting the pieces together, really, you're getting feedback for different things and putting the pieces together in the manuscript itself. So exactly. yeah, absolutely. That is so awesome. So what was it like to well, I think it's awesome that you've been traditionally published. I think that that is such a wonderful accomplishment. So if you wouldn't mind sharing some tips or some suggestions for how to go about successfully querying. So for instance, um, do you have some tips on a strong query letter or just that process? Because sometimes you can query and you might not get somebody who says, yes, I'd be interested or further along. So do you have any words of encouragement there? 
Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, and I definitely had a, um, you know, a, 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 a wonderful query experience. I, I did not end up, end up sending out um, tons of letters, which I know, which is, I think there's just so many different ways that it happens for different people to, to nothing really having to do with like the individual writer's work sometimes. But I think, so pers persistence is like the number one suggestion is that um, to not give up just because um, one agent might say it's not a fit for their list doesn't mean that it's not an excellent story and idea that there's just, it's so subjective. Um, but I would say to help uh, ourselves um, doing your research ahead of time. So um, one of the things that I did was I made a, a like a spreadsheet with um, agents who um, I had done research on like manuscript wish lists, for example, or also the hashtag on Twitter, you know, uh, MS wishlist. Um, and what writers, what agents were looking for my age category, my um, genre fantasy. Also, if they said anything in their uh, tweets about some looking for something in particular, you know, I would like a dark story or something a little scary, or I'd like something to do with the Caribbean or anything that I felt like connected to my work, I put that agent on my list. And then I looked up information about them. So had they done any interviews anywhere where they shared anything about themselves or about their interests? Um, I looked on publishers um, marketplace to see like what kinds of sales had they had? What agency were they at? If they were um, maybe a junior agent, were they kind of being mentored by other people? Because it, I think sometimes we, we look and say like, oh, this person's new or they don't have any sales, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's not an agent that you might want to uh, work with. It just, you'd want to make sure that their agency was well-established or that they maybe were being mentored by another agent there. Um, so when I have that list, I think that helped me um, because then I sent out letters and rounds. Um, and I did, I had taken the advice of friends to do small batches. So I sent out 10 queries at a time. And when I heard back from someone, either positive or negative, I would you know, make a note on my spreadsheet and say someone rejected, then I would just send out the next query so that I always had 10 out. Um, and I think that's helpful because if you get feedback from anyone, which, you know, again, a lot of agents are busy and they get so many queries, so you might not, but I did occasionally get like personal feedback on a query. If there was something that you were hearing, you can make adjustments to your query letter perhaps, or go back to your manuscript. If you were to get um, like a partial request or a full request and maybe then not have it um, be uh, offered on, you might say, okay, was there something that they said that maybe I could tweak a little bit before sending out the next batch? So um, I think those that at least was helpful for me to be organized and do some research before. And I didn't query too early. I guess that would be my biggest piece of advice is that, um, I, as I said, I wrote my novel during NaNoWriMo <laughs> and I, I hear from agents sometimes is that, there's a wave of queries that tend to go out like in January and February after NaNoWriMo that people, you know, are so excited about their manuscripts and they just send them right out. And that is probably not the best thing because a lot of times you just, that fast draft needs work and it needs time to sit. 
before you come back to it with fresh eyes. And so to take your time, you know, the agents aren't going anywhere um, and to make sure it's like your absolute best before you send it out. That's fabulous. Uh, that is your point about taking time for it to sit, whatever you've written, in my opinion, that space really helps because it does allow you fresh eyes, a fresh perspective. It might be a day that you need. It might be a week, it, depending upon what you've written. If it's a blog, maybe it's a day or an email, but if it's a manuscript, you're going to need a little bit longer than a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want more space because that space yeah. allows you time for, for you to feel excited about the document when you're, when you're going back into it, but it also allows your creativity to have been percolating when you weren't working on it, because you're still working on it. It's just not in the same way. You're not actively sitting there typing or writing your, but you could be doing something completely different yet little things start to float through and jotting them down on a notepad or in your phone and revisiting when you do sit down to revisit, it does, those little things help, that space helps. Yeah, I mean, there's something that I talk about with my students about reading like a writer, but I also feel like writing like a reader, you know, is something too. So like with reading like a writer, I have my students, you know, when you read something and like you feel an emotion or like you really love a piece of a passage to think about what was the writer doing there that made me feel that way? Was it, you know, how did they, you know, was it the dialogue? Was it something in the description? Was it like figurative language? Like, what was it to think about? Like, how do you learn from the books that we read? But then I also think with writing is that if you put things aside, it gives you a little bit of a sense of being the reader. You can kind of step out outside of yourself as the writer for a a bit and reading it with the eyes of somebody who's just picking up a book, like you would pick up one in the library or in a bookstore to see and, and gives you that moment of like, oh, like I was really in love with this opening before, but now I can see that it's confusing or it's whatever. And you know, bring some new ideas to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you said something earlier on that I really liked how you described this when you talked about like a sporting event and are you the spectator or are you the player? And when you make that transition from spectating to being the player, to being the writer, it's a different way of looking at the game, if you will. It's a different way of approaching what you have loved witnessing. So do you have some recommendations for someone who's making that transition or when they're sitting in that space and they're playing and they feel like they're not playing as well as they would like, and they thought they would do a lot better. Like they almost are going, wait a minute. <laughs> I think I could really do this, but I feel like I'm struggling a little bit. Would you, can you offer some yeah. encouragement there? So my number one recommendation would be to start reading more. (laughs) So I know we, you know, most of people who are writers are readers, but like, um, again, it's that idea of reading like a writer. So like whatever either genre or age category you're interested in writing for, um, I know I've I've heard before people who write picture books, they've said you should read a hundred picture books um, or a hundred of something of whatever category that you're interested in writing. Um, And I I think that's a lot, but it's not a bad idea. You can do, you know, just a lot more than maybe you have, like be familiar with what's current. Um, You know, so I think sometimes too, as writers, we have our nostalgia for books that maybe came out when we were children or a long time before. So 
to go to a bookstore and, uh, or a library and just pick up a bunch of books that are kind of in that area of what you're interested in writing and reading and also paying attention to the craft that you're noticing, you know, maybe use a notebook or use post-it notes if it's the book that you purchased yourself or writing and highlighting what you're noticing in those books that you can learn from. Um, and then I would say beyond that is to get into some um, communities of writers. Um, if you're able to join a critique group and share your work, that's great. Um, if you're able to, you know, find an online class or an in-person class, um, there are a lot of places that, um, uh, you know, like I live in a community where there's um, some MFA programs that let people uh, audit classes for a really inexpensive amount of money. And I've done that before. And, um, you know, just to meet other writers, to learn uh, from other, you know, instructors of writing, to see examples, because a lot of time in classes, they'll show like mentor texts. You know, here's an example of, you know, something that has great voice, or here's an example of somebody who structured the, you know, the story in an unusual way or an uh, interesting way. Um, so that I would say, you know, reading lots, finding communities of writers, um, and then just being willing to write and not expect perfection <laughs> from the first draft. <laughs> Let it be what it is. And, you know, you know that it's going to take several passes um, to con like, you know, just thinking about like every time you go over it again, it's getting one step closer to where you'd like it to be, but not have any expectations on how many, how many times that might take because every story has its own needs. I really love hearing that. Yeah. I mean, writers can have a tendency to get hard on themselves in the sense of saying, this is hard. I, what was I thinking? Can I really do this? And so what you just described is allowing yourself to complete this piece, complete this round and looking at this as a draft of saying, I got it done. And now I can go back and do it again with the things I've learned, the things I've observed, the feedback I've gotten and go again, and then take some more, take another break, get more feedback if need to do it again. So that it yeah. just, and when you get that support, when you give yourself that permission, again, another form of support you'll get your manuscript moving and going in the direction that you want it to go and be excited about sharing it like you are right yeah, now. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think even when you do those, those passes that I was talking about, they can be for different things. So maybe, um, you know, after you've completed a first draft, um, I've heard, you know, a, a one thing that you can do is outline the story, like outline what you've already written just to kind of see like the structure of it. So like one pass could just be on you know, the pacing or the structure of it. And then after you've done that, then another pass might be on the dialogue. And then after you've done that, another pass could be on, you know, exposition and description or whatever it is that you feel like is something that you want to check for. Um, and, and that I think helps also make it manageable because I think um, as even like it's a teacher, like we, you know, tell kids to focus on one thing, one thing at a time. Like you can't like, you know, revise for everything at the same time. You have to pick something. So pick a couple of things that you're paying attention to and then great, that's manageable. And then you can come back and look at other things in a, a later, later pass through. 
love this so, so much, Lisa. This has just been so much fun. So much, so many nuggets of wisdom. Thank you so much. How can people connect with you and where can they get your book? Thank you. Uh, I'm online. So I have a website, lisastringfellow.com, where you can learn more about my books and um, definitely reach out to me there. I have a contact form. Also, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. My uh, handle is engagereaders. Um, so that kind of connects to my teaching, but um, I'm pretty active on both of those platforms. And my book is available um, in uh wherever books are sold. So it's on Amazon and Bookshop and your local independent bookstores. Thank you so much. This has just been a pure joy. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad you were here and know there were some valuable nuggets shared to keep going, keep writing, and keep sharing your work. I'm a big believer that if you have a book that's in your heart to write, then there's someone else out there who needs to read it. Your story needs to be shared, so you have to write it and get it out into the world. Until next time, keep swimming upstream while going with the flow and get your book into the world. To learn more about Tough Fish and jump into the pond, visit jennifermilius.com forward slash tough fish.